Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be in the book of Colossians here this morning. And if you're just joining with us, uh, we have been working our way through the book of Colossians. I, I believe we're on the 21st or 22nd message out of the book of Colossians here. Uh, just kind of going line upon line, uh, verse upon verse. And uh, this morning here, um, I wanted to kind of circle back and uh, go back to what we talked a little bit about uh, last week about uh, certain sins that we were supposed to be putting to death in our lives. And uh, we talked about uh, what Paul said about putting to death these, uh, these sexual sins. And um, I was planning on going on to the next uh, uh, part there about uh, putting away uh, sinful anger, uh, but I, I felt it necessary to spend a little bit of time here and give you some practical things about how we can address uh, sexual immorality in our own lives and how we can uh, deal with that. As a person who struggles with uh, the temptation of sexual immorality, I know it's real. I know that it's, um, it's, a, it's a temptation and it's hard, but you have to learn how to put it to death uh, in your own life. And so this morning, I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about that and give some gospel hope uh, for those who struggle with uh, sexual immorality or temptation for sexual immorality. Now, if you're kind of thinking right now, well, Mike, you know, this really isn't for me. I, I don't struggle with sexual immorality or I, I don't really have uh, that problem. I wanna, want you to consider two things. Number one, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 tells us, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Uh, and secondly, Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And, uh, you know, the ministry that God has given all of us, not just uh, somebody who is a teacher or a preacher of the Word of God or an elder the ministry that God has given all of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ, if you who claim to be spiritual, you have an obligation as a brother or sister in Christ to help other brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle in any type of sin. And you are supposed to help them and restore them uh, in a spirit of gentleness is what uh, Scripture teaches us. So hopefully maybe even the things that uh, we talk about here today could be a help to you. Uh, just kind of a, a, you know, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here, but um, how many of you would could identify and say either, yes, I myself struggle with some form of sexual immorality, so maybe some temptation with that, or I know somebody uh, in my life that struggles with some form of sexual immorality. When we talk about sexual immorality, I mean, that can include just about anything. Um, it could be adultery. It could be uh, fornication, that's sex outside of marriage. Um, it could be uh, homosexuality, pornography, any type of thing like that. Uh, and if we know individuals that may struggle with that or ourselves we struggle with that, 
Um, hopefully these things that we talk about here this morning could be a help to you, and that's the reason why I want to uh, give some of these things here for you. So this is what I would like for you to take away with you this morning. If I desire to put to death sexual immorality in my life, I must obey God's word on what he says to do. If I desire to put to death sexual immorality in my life, I must obey God's word on what he says to do. So let's take notice here. I want to give you a few things about this uh, fighting against sexual immorality and this gospel hope that God's word gives us. So number one, the fight against sexual immorality begins with radical amputation. Uh, in our text here, Colossians 3, 5 through 7, Paul said, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked uh, when you were living in them. And, you know, the truth is, as long as we continue to make these desires accessible uh, to our flesh, we will continue to seek it out. And uh, if you want to experience true and lasting change uh, in this area, then, you know, you can cry, you can beg, you can pray, you can wail. Um, but at the end of the day, you will also need to be very practical. And the practical side of that is you have to put it to death. You have to practice radical amputation. The text here in Colossians calls us to put these earthly sins, these earthly things, in us to death. Um, you will need to make the sinful opportunities less accessible. Jesus made this point very clear uh, when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says here in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. He says, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so Jesus here speaks these words to these people who are struggling with sexual sin. He's talking about adultery. Now, if any of us here struggle with this sexual sin, you know, myself included, then these words are for you and for me as well. Jesus makes such a very strong statement because he wants us to wake up to the seriousness of our sexual sin and alert us, really, to the radical measures necessary to deal with our sin. Notice the standard that Jesus calls us to. Look what he says. If a person wants purity in their life, it's not just about engaging in sexual immorality, right? Because he says, talking about adultery here, Jesus uses this example and he says, listen, I'm going to raise it, the standard of purity from physical acts of fornication, committing adultery, to what? The internal, right? The, the internal of dealing with the heart. Because he says this, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent 
has already committed adultery uh, with her in his heart. And so this truth highlights one of the many reasons why sexual immorality is wrong, whether that be pornography, fornication, homosexual acts, same-sex attraction, uh, or lust. It reveals the evil, corrupt desires of our sinful hearts. And God wants us to understand that it's not, it's not the external things that are going on, it's what's happening on the inside, the internal. And Jesus follows this with a serious strategy, right? What is he wanting us to do? Practice radical amputation. And so he says, if you're tempted to violate the standard and commit sexual sin, then Jesus says, you must gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. You must not only remove these parts of your body, but he says you must also throw them away. Now, Jesus will not allow you and me to retain these sinning body parts in hopes of using them later. He commands that you cast them away and abandon any future prospect of using them again for sinful purposes. Now, just to be clear here, Jesus is not telling us to practice self-mutilation. He's not saying to go home and grab a fork and jab out your eye, okay? Um, when I was a kid, I used to do this thing. I, I saw it was really, really crazy. But uh, you would get a coffee creamer. Uh, maybe I shouldn't tell this because I'm going to have these kids doing this <laughs> at the dinner table later on. But anyways, you get a coffee creamer. And uh, I had a fork. And you hold the coffee creamer inside your hand. And you're like, oh, man, I feel like there's something in my eye, you know. And then you go like this, and then all that white cream comes pouring out, you know. Yeah, don't do that, okay. Sorry, parents, I, I don't know why I just did that. But anyways, Jesus is not saying don't gouge out your eye, okay, literally. Uh, don't literally cut off your hand. But he says you have to take drastic measures because, really, you could get rid of your eye, you could get rid of your hand, but you could still sin. You could still have that lust in your heart. And that's the problem, is dealing with our hearts. And Jesus wants us to understand that. And so he's telling us that when we are tempted to sin sexually, we must act aggressively every time we are tempted and in every way uh, required to avoid the sin. Jesus wants us to understand that you must be tough with sin. You will need to employ radical measures to limit your access and starve your temptation. Uh, in the times that I've done counseling with married couples um, or even uh, counseling with people that struggle with uh, pornography or uh, same-sex attraction, um, there, there's usually a way that they are accessing information, watching things, looking at things. And so we have to employ radical measures in order to limit that. And that may mean that uh, we have to turn in our electronic devices. It may mean that we have to have accountability with our partner. It may mean that we have to change our phone number. Uh, it may mean that we have to get a different uh, phone. Right? These are taking radical measures, radical steps, in order to limit the opportunity for our flesh to indulge in that. And one thing you need to remember is that God does not forbid sexual immorality because he wants you to be miserable. 
God forbids it because sexual immorality leads to brokenness, sadness, emptiness, death, and ultimately is what Jesus says, those that continue uh, in sexual immorality with no regard for repentance, with no regard of changing, it ultimately leads to hell. Righteousness, on the other hand, leads to fullness, joy, peace, and life. And according to Jesus, sin is not complicated. This passage is also a warning because to constantly indulge in sexual immorality, it will lead you to hell. And so if you constantly indulge in sexual immorality without any conviction of your sin, I would urge you to repent of your sin and to believe the gospel. So what does radical amputation look like for the believer? Well, it could mean that you're going to have to take those, those radical steps of making the changes in your life. Making the changes. Concrete, real steps. You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things to kind of be like, well, you know, I, I don't want to indulge in sexual immorality, but then, you know, you might be... Uh, there with your phone and you're looking at something and you're going, oh man, I'm being tempted. Well, uh, God, uh, just help me not to be tempted. No, you got to get rid of that, right? You got to remove that temptation uh, that's there. So you have to take these radical steps uh, for that. I assure you that having helped many people who have struggled with sexual immorality, the thing I often hear is I felt trapped this was my deepest, darkest secret. And by taking radical measures, what we end up doing is we bring our sin out into the light so it may be confessed and forsaken. And so it's important that we take those radical uh, measures and practice radical amputation. Here's the second thing. Fight against sexual immorality by understanding the gospel and who you are in Christ. Now, if you can remember the context of what Paul was speaking about, putting sin to death here in, the, in what we're looking at here in Colossians, um, you had these false teachers that were emphasizing asceticism, right? Uh, practicing the self-denial of the flesh. And Paul says, even though it had an appearance of wisdom, he says it did not stop the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, they were trying to do an A, B, C, D approach to God, if I just keep this rule and that rule and this rule and this rule, then I'm not going to have to worry about uh, any problems that I may have. And Paul says, no, that's not the answer. The answer is understanding the gospel and understanding who you are in Jesus Christ. And we spent uh, a couple weeks on a lot of these true statements of who we are in Jesus, the fact that we were seated with him in heavenly places. Um, and so our hope really lies within the gospel. What Jesus did, that he died for my sins, he was crucified, he has resurrected. He has power over sin and sin's penalty. And because we are in him, we have died to the flesh. And sin should no longer have any power uh, anymore over us. So if we want to fight against sexual immorality, it starts with these core identity statements that Paul has been making throughout the book of Colossians. Let's just look at a few of them. Uh, Colossians 1.27, uh, he said this, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, 
Here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? That's a true identity statement of who we are in Jesus, that Christ is in us. And it's the hope of glory that we have. Uh, here's another one, Colossians 2.12. He says this, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So not only have we been buried with Christ, but what also has happened? We've been resurrected with Christ. That's who we are in Jesus. Another one in Colossians 2.20. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You have died with Christ. Uh, Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so we have been resurrected and we are raised with Christ and we are seated there with Christ in heavenly places. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life is with Christ in God. Colossians 3, 9 through 10 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so this is who we are in Christ. God has done all of these things. And I think so many times when we hear things like this, we like to check out because we're going, well, I want the practical side of this, Mike, but did you know that this is what Paul was giving them? This was the practical. This is the stuff of saying, if you get this, if you understand your identity, and if you understand the gospel and its work and its power in your life, he says, it will change you. But you have to be applying that to your life, and you have to live that out. You have to live these truths out in your life. And so we are united to the risen Christ by faith. His resurrection life flows in our veins now. The spirit of the living Christ lives inside of us. And so we are no longer belong to this world and to the rules it plays by. We belong to Christ. In order to have power to fight lust, we first must understand this, that we no longer belong to sin. It has no more power over us anymore. The only power that it has is what you give it, is what you indulge in willingly. And we belong to God who has accepted us and forgiven us, not because we purified ourselves first, but because we are united by faith to the pure one, Jesus Christ. And so this is a work that God has done in us. And this is who we are in Jesus. And so if we're going to fight against sexual immorality, we need to understand the gospel and who we are in Christ. It's very important that we do that. Here's the third thing. Fight sexual immorality by seeking the things that are above. Trans forming grace. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, Paul writes this, right? Knowing that we're united with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You know, last week we talked a little bit about a lot of these terms that he used here, and they carry the idea to center one's interest and focus and passions on something, to savor something. 
And now that God has united us to the risen Christ, our desires should now be focused on the gospel. We should now savor Christ and who He is and what He has accomplished, what He's done. I have died with Christ. I have been resurrected with Christ. And when we talk about fighting sexual immorality, one of the things that's often a repeated behavior is we commit the sin, then feeling guilt and shame and needing and desiring forgiveness, we cry out to God, God, forgive me of this. I'm sorry. I've sinned. Please take this away. I've been there. I know what that's like. Or we may take uh, these radical steps of cleaning house and I'm never going to do this ever again, right? And we uh, take some radical step of trying to get rid of a lot of stuff. But it stops there. Now, don't misunderstand me. Yes, we should confess and seek for forgiveness for our sin. That's clearly what Scripture teaches us and uh, passages like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. But is that it? Is this the whole command to seeking the things that are above? In Christ, we have been forgiven everything. We have forgiving grace. Did you earn your forgiveness? Did you do something that merited God's forgiveness upon your life? No. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Right? God has gifted you a gift of grace and forgiveness, complete and total forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And so God has forgiven us all of our sins, not because we deserved it or we've done something to merit it. He has forgiven us on the basis of His Son, Jesus Christ. Forgiving grace really is only one part of the power that Jesus gives and is made available to us. God's powerful grace also gives us strength to live in new ways. Forgiving grace is wonderful and essential, but to fight the fight against sexual immorality, we need more than forgiveness. It's not enough that our record of debt has been, been wiped clean. We also need grace to live like Jesus. We need grace that changes us so we can be like him in his holiness and love. We need transforming grace. And I think this is where people have a hard time understanding this because they may confess the sin and they say, God, I don't want to live like this. This is hard. Please, please take this away from me. God, I, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for what I've done. And they say, God, change me. God, change me. God wants to change you. Believe me, he does. But you have to do your part. And what is that? Trans. Forming grace, that is taking the word of God and then applying it to your life and obeying the scriptural principles and living those truths out. God will then begin to change you from the inside out. And so we need transforming grace. In our context here in Colossians, Paul has been talking about 
the, the death and resurrection of Jesus for all who trust in Jesus. His death and resurrection is our death and resurrection. And Jesus' death and resurrection not only pays for our record of debt and gives us forgiving grace, but Jesus' death and resurrection leads to our transformation. This is what we call our sanctification. This is our growth in and through the gospel. Through God's transforming grace, we can live a new life because of what Jesus has done for us. Many people spend a lot of time pursuing forgiveness. They beg, they plead for forgiveness after indulging in sexual immorality, but they don't know what to do next. The Bible teaches that in addition to confessing sin and seeking God's forgiveness, you need to pursue God's powerful transforming grace by believing the good news of the gospel. God wants to transform you from the inside out. And God's grace forgives you and God's grace empowers you to live differently and to be obedient to Him. And God gives us the power to live a transformed life. He's working in His grace and we have to work out those things. It is essentially working out your salvation. What God is working in you, you are working that out. You have to apply it and make it work in your life. Listen to what Titus teaches us about this transforming grace here. In Titus 2, 11 through 15, he says, For the grace of God has appeared to do what? Bringing salvation for all people. Boy, that's wonderful. God's grace has appeared to bring us salvation. But then look what he says here. It's appeared to bring salvation for all people. This is a change from the inside. But then look at verse number 12. I love this. What is the grace of God doing? It is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. What is the grace of God doing in your life? It should be teaching you to renounce ungodliness and evil passions in your life. If the grace of God is not teaching you to renounce ungodly passions and evil desires in your life, you need to check whether or not you are in the faith. Because the grace of God has appeared to us for salvation. And if we're not renouncing those things... If we're not saying, okay, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want a change in my life. There's a problem in your heart. And so there's a change from the inside out. Look what he says here. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting. We're waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. This is the mark of a person who has been changed from the inside out. They're renouncing ungodliness and they're zealous now for good works because the grace of God is at work in their life. 
And so by allowing God's transforming grace to have its power in our lives as we yield to His Word and obey His Word, we begin to deal with our identity in Christ. We are a new creature, as what 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creation, right? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so as we deal with our identity in Christ, we then begin to deal with the sins we must repent of and how we are to obey God. We are motivated to repentance and obedience because of the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 12 teaches us. So if we're going to fight sexual immorality, we need to be seeking the things that are above. God's transforming grace. We need to seek what God says in His Word And he says, you need to change this. You need to change that. You need to renounce this. And what's amazing about God's transforming grace is because through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can obey the word of God. It's not impossible. We can do it. But we have to do it. Here's the last and final thing. Fight sexual immorality through putting off and putting on. Because we have transforming grace, we can do what Scripture tells us to do, and that is to put off sinful sexual desires and put on Christ-like desires. Notice how we do this in what Paul says here in Ephesians. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So we're supposed to put it off. Okay, Paul. I'm putting those things off. I'm renouncing them. I'm not going to live that way anymore. But how do I put them on, Paul? How do I do that? Look what he says, verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It involves your thinking. It involves what you're thinking about, what you're dwelling upon. Right? Remember remember what Paul was saying in Colossians? Seek the things that are above, right? What are we thinking about? If we're thinking about the earthly things, if we're focused on the earthly things, then we're not going to be able to fight the battle. But we have to have our minds renewed. How do we renew our minds? Through the Word of God. We have to apply the Word of God to our thinking, how we think, what we're thinking about, how we're allowing those thoughts to come into our mind and run wild, right? And I've seen how this has even worked in my own life, right? Like I might be watching a movie, and then there's a scene that is very suggestive of sexual immorality, right? And what does my mind start then thinking about? What should I do? Click, right? Because I don't want to provide any ways for my, my flesh to indulge in that, And then I have to to attack what is going on in my mind through the Word of God and bring those thoughts into captivity. Why? Because I do not want to fall prey to sexual immorality. And so we have to deal with it through putting off and putting on. And so we renew our mind by changing our thinking. We allow Scripture to wash over our fleshly, earthly minds and allow Scripture to change our thinking and how we think. We start thinking biblical about what we desire. Why are we desiring it? 
We deal with the evil passions and the idols that are in our hearts. And we start asking those questions. What do I truly want? What do I want? What does my heart want? And we deal with those passions and those those idols of our hearts. And then what are we supposed to do? Look what he says, verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we do that? What is holiness? It's a life of discipline, focus, and attention to matters of righteous living. Can we live right? Yes, we can. Because of who we are in Christ. This is forming new habits. Habits take time to form, but if we work on them, we have to discipline to live a life of holiness. And so if you want to start forming a new habit, you have to just start working at it, working at it, working at it, working at it, working at it. And before you know it, you will form a new habit. It's hard. It takes work. It's discipline. But you have to do it if you're going to fight the battle against sexual immorality. So here's some practical ideas in putting off and putting on. Number one, don't trust your feelings or be led by them. Bring the sinful issues and practices that need to be put off into the light with appropriate people for help and accountability. That's Galatians 6.1, Ephesians 5.11, Hebrews 3.12-14. Be specific about what you need to be putting off and how you are going to do that. Not just saying, I'll change, but be concrete. What are you going to change? This is true repentance. Put off greediness and unthankfulness. Greediness and unthankfulness are at the heart of all sexual sin. Ephesians 5, 3 and 5, Colossians 3, 5, Exodus 20, 17, Mark 7, 21. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and Romans 1, 21 through 28. And so if we're going to put off greediness and unthankfulness, what should we be putting on? Thankfulness, contentment, right? Ephesians 5, 4, Philippians 4, 11 through 13 tells us those things. Be vigilant of tempting situations, Romans 13, 14. Think on things that are pure, taking every impure thought captive in the spiritual battle and renew each one of them with God's truth. That's Philippians 4, 8 and 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Now let me give you one final word about putting off and putting on. This process of putting off and putting on takes time. It's not instant switch. And I think that's what people are looking for today, right? They, they say, give me a pill, give me a word, Pray over me, right? They, they, they want this stuff, right? Immediately, right? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that is the answer to putting off and putting on. What does it take? It takes discipline. It takes work. It takes you allowing the transforming grace of God to be at work in your life. It's a lifelong pursuit of holiness. This is your sanctification process. It's lifelong. And remember that this process is not always visibly outwardly. These issues are issues of the heart and mind. Galatians 6, 1 through 2 reminds us about the spiritual side of these issues. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, 
It's spiritual. The things you cannot see should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Sexual sin, like every other sin, is both thrown out and squeezed out. And we do this by starving the sin. We fight vigorously against evil things and replace it by an intentional, aggressive pursuit of Christ-like behaviors. We are called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 13-14 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And so when it comes to sexual immorality and sin, there's not this instant final fix. What is the pattern that we need to follow in fighting our sexual immorality? Interesting, Jesus never tells us to cast out the demon of lust or just say no. He never tells us to let go and let God or to only think about Jesus, or ask him to take it away. Paul tried that. Remember how that worked out for him? What did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. God's transforming grace is sufficient for Paul. And if it's sufficient for the Apostle Paul, who wrote a third of the New Testament, planted churches, then why do you need anything else? You need the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. So what's the pattern we are to follow? Jesus said this, If anyone, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him keep denying himself and be taking up his cross daily and keep following me. And if we do this, it requires we practice radical amputation, knowing our position in Christ, and then zealously obeying His Word in practice. That's Luke 9.23, Ephesians 2.1, Ephesians 4.22-24, and Colossians 3.1-17. So, if you know Christ but you struggle in sexual immorality, God's Word gives you hope in dealing with it. And you can claim the victory. You can have the victory over it. Uh, you can live in victory because of God's Word, what it says. And if you don't know Christ and you know that your life is plagued by sexual immorality, then I would encourage you to repent of your sin, believe in Christ, and trust Him for salvation because He died for your sexual immorality. And as what uh, uh, He says in Scripture, He says, He rose again so that you could be washed from your filth, justified by having your sin record wiped clean and forgiven. And then you can be sanctified uh, by God's glory and for his glory. And he commands you to repent and believe the gospel. I would say any one of us elders here would love to pray for you and uh, encourage you and help you. And if you're struggling with this, you know, please, please, you know, don't keep it in the dark. Bring it out into the light. Uh, so that way you can deal with it and deal with it biblically and have the victory. So that way we may present everybody, what, mature in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.